Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, War Report family? We are back for another great edition of the Auburn Express podcast powered by the War Report. It's week one. I got my girl, Brandy Mack, and my guy, Auburn Memes, with me. Before we get into it, quick word from our sponsors. Treat your boys. Chill Boys underwear is designed for maximum comfort with enough space to keep you cool, calm, and comfortable. Chill Boys underwear will help you keep the boys close, uh, not too close. When the game is on the line, you won't break a sweat with Chill Boys underwear. Whether it's left boy, right boy, or both boys, Chill Boys provides your boys comfort like you've never felt. Visit chillboys.com and use code RAPPORT, that's R-A-P-P-O-R-T, and get 15% off of your order. Maximize your chill with Chill Boys. You're listening to... The Auburn Express. Powered by the War Report. All aboard the AM departure from platform 334, the Auburn Express. We're running on time and expecting no hiccups. Doing the work, hard work, to bring you the best Auburn sports content you'll find anywhere. Guys, it's week one, and the QB controversy has already started. TJ Finley or Robbie Ashford? Auburn took down Mercer in week one by a bunch of touchdowns, and TJ Finley started the game. Now, Brian Harson announced before the game that he would start, so that was no shock to anybody. But we watched some film right before we came on the podcast tonight, and by play four, Robbie Ashford was in the game, and his first play from scrimmage was a plus nine yard gainer people are excited about Robbie Ashford not so much about TJ Finley after the two interceptions let's just get right into this guys Robbie Ashford to TJ Finley for San Jose State I'm I'm going with Robbie Ashford (laughs) like (laughs) I mean it's it's hard not to after what we saw well after we saw the mistakes that TJ made and then we see Robbie come in and essentially be almost perfect like I know he didn't play that much and the rain delay kind of messed with that we used tank and oh he got a whole half he got a whole half of football that's true yeah and it's him yeah that's true so I wish we would have saw his arm a little bit more I think is what I was getting at there but I mean this is the kind of quarterback that succeeds in Auburn system and always has I want Robbie Ashford 
and I want him really bad. <laughs> uh, okay, all right. Uh, Brandy has said her piece. She's thirsting for Robbie. Memes, what does your thirst say? How, how do we quench your thirst? Well, I gotta, I gotta, I guess I gotta be a little more grounded with it. Probably a little. Uh, I think they call this coach speak in different circles, but it's TJ's job. Definitely can't say after those two interceptions, given the entire body of work, you say, hey, it's an absolute bench. Definitely TJ shortened his leash, and I think Robbie came out there, and I will say that he did better than I was personally expecting. Not saying that I was going to think Robbie's going to do bad. He made plays. He was electric. He did not look razzled or confused. He looked like he knew what he was doing. He looked confident, and of course, he had some really good throws out there as well. So, I mean, it was definitely a full package kind of game. I think you would have needed to see a fuller body of work, which would have been a bit more of the passing plays earlier on in the game to really have a solidified, I guess I say body work once again. I still think, and obviously that's what they're doing, they're rolling with TJ and San Jose. I think we're going to see a very, very similar system than we saw against Mercer to really know. They might let TJ air, excuse me, they might let Robbie air it out a little bit more with the arms. But I just... I want to see balance and I want to see both of them maybe tested a little bit more. So hopefully going into Penn state, we'll kind of know what we're dealing with and uh, no, no more mistakes out of TJ. We're just going to say that right now. Well, let's talk stats for a second guys, right? TJ Finley uh, was seven for 11 uh, for 112 yards. I'm sorry, nine for 14 for 112 yards, one touchdown and two interceptions. Uh, He had a completion rate of 64.3%. His adjusted was actually the same. So, like, what he what we saw is what he is in this game. There, he was not affected by drops. There were no outside factors that affected his completion percentage. He had a pretty clean pocket uh, most of the game. So, uh, that was TJ Finley. Now, Robbie Ashford uh, didn't throw the ball as much, right? He was 4 of 7 for 100 yards. 14.3 yards per attempt. And uh, his adjusted uh, was actually 85.7. <laughs> Drops did actually get him. He had one by tank that was just clearly dropped. Um, and he had a smaller sample size, but you know his adjusting completion percentage would have been 85%. The advanced metrics say Robbie had a pretty damn good game. So if you're TJ, I think his what his stats tell us is this is about what we expected, what we needed from him. Just minus the interceptions, right? Mid-60s in the completion percentage. Now, he set a goal for himself of 70-plus percent and fell short of that. So, you know, how how correctable do we feel like TJ's mistakes were? Um, he threw two interceptions, one early in the game, uh, one to start the second half. Memes, how correctable are these mistakes by TJ? Yeah, I mean, I think overall, TJ's body of work was very good. I mean, if you take away those two interceptions, I mean, TJ's got a really strong storyline coming from this game. Even getting pulled out and just letting Robbie take the second half, which you didn't need in any normal circumstances. not like you needed your starting quarterback here anyway. You take those away, I think there's a completely different conversation, which really stinks for TJ, because just like you said, these were pretty correctable, boneheaded throws. The first one was just a really bad decision. He threw it in the middle of four defenders. He even admitted that after the game. He just said, we, there was a look we had at practice pretty much said, I thought I could do it. Wasn't quite there. He kind of got in his own head. He sort of overthought 
that throw a little bit based on some looks they saw in practice. And that's the point during the game is those guys will they'll bait you into doing something like that. So got to be smarter. It's against Mercer. You don't have to make those kind of throws. There was no need to do that. And of course, the second one was just in, I was standing right next to him in his uh, post game when he was talking about this. Just said he threw it off his back foot. His weight wasn't right. Didn't didn't get the right pop he had on it. Balance was off. The ball fell short. It was picked off. So I think the first one, bad decision. Second one, bad throw. Fortunately, these things are going to be really easy to pick out at film. I think they're going to get down and say, look at that one. Hey, don't force those looks. You don't have to do it. Don't put the team on your back. And the second one is just keep your footwork, keep your fundamentals. And once again, just don't play hero ball if you don't have to. Just do what you need to do mm. to win the game. I think they're both very correctable. If he had been throwing a bunch of limp arms, sloppy throws, getting sacked this that or another, I would think this I would say this maybe would be a reflection of a bigger problem. I think it's just some rust getting into game one. I feel pretty confident moving forward that he can dust this off and uh keep rocking keep rocking for uh, San Jose and onward. Brandy, how how correctable is this in your mind for TJ and is there anything he could do in game two to redeem himself in the eyes of fans? Yeah, I mean, I think he has to be damn near perfect to redeem himself in the eyes of fans. I mean, throwing two interceptions against an FCS school is unacceptable, like, regardless of why those those interceptions happened. Um, I think he has to be basically perfect on Saturday to be redeemable. Um, you know, whether he is or isn't the guy, like, what happened on Saturday, like you just can't have two interceptions, you know, like he had some really great plays before those interceptions and he looked decent and you could see some improvement. Um, but you know, those kind of decision decisions that he made to cause those interceptions, like you can't have that happen. And especially not once we get into conference play. So I think he has to be perfect against San Jose state to, to get fans back on his side. I think it's very clear from the response online um, that fans are definitely more behind Robbie than they are TJ right now. Yeah, I think when you say perfect, that means just, again, we're just talking about the turnovers here because if you take away those turnovers, he does have a perfect game, right? He did have uh, one that I felt like was a drop by John Samuel Shanker on the sideline, and then the interception was right after the drop. That's tough for any quarterback. Like, you make a perfect throw, and then on the next throw, it's a pick, but it was a pick of his own doing. So I do feel that, you know, versus San Jose State, when we say perfect, it means, you know, play a clean game, protect the football. It got to keep the ball out of harm's way. Now, the first interception led to points, right? It ended, it essentially ended the shutout. They gave the ball back to Mercer and any football team, I think no matter what level, if you give them the ball enough times, they're going to find a way to get down the field on you and score. So that's what was so disappointing about that, I think. So from a number standpoint, uh, the line played well for these quarterbacks. Now, this has been a storyline at Auburn since the days of the last dude who shall not be named that (laughs) the line, no fans have said this memes. They have said no quarterback can be good behind that offensive line. What did we see? How do we feel about the quarterbacks behind this offensive line on Saturday? Well, there was definitely a mismatch here. Uh, I've got the stats pulled up. So the starting defensive line for Mercer, 255, 285, 285. Mm. Those are the three that they brought that they brought down there. Their linebackers are all about 225, a pop as well. Pretty significant size mismatch there. And I think the Mercer defensive line in some cases played a bit better than than um 
we might have hoped they had, or maybe that was a vindication on Auburn's offensive line. But uh, overall, I mean, if you just really slow it down and look at the metrics, especially Tate Johnson, I mean, he got graded very high. The only thing that had me worried, and this has been talked about at nauseum, but he was snapping the ball pretty high, even for a quarterback who's six seven. Mm. So let's hope that uh, he doesn't do one of those and it flies over Robbie's head. But I still to be determined on the offensive line. I saw plenty of things I liked. There's some things that got me a little like, huh, given the size mismatch. But the quarterbacks, the offensive line put the quarterbacks in, and the running backs in plenty of situations to make plays. Right. We're going to say it at nauseum. It's against Mercer. We got to see it against someone better. We're going to hear it till it finally happens. But I think that conditioning, I think that coaching, I think just the fundamental understanding of what needs to go on happened. Nick Brahms is out there dressed like a GA. So he's over there coaching the guys, which is like really awesome to see. And I mean, obviously we hate that he can't be out there trying to give his redemption to her, but it's, it's great to see that how much he loves Auburn and really wants these guys to succeed. And I mean, he's basically just another offensive line coach out there because Let's be real how long he's been playing at Auburn. I, I'm i not going to say I feel good about the offensive line. I definitely don't feel bad. There's definitely, I would even maybe lean to say there's more to feel excited about than worried about at this point. So um, I don't know if we're doing a grade. I'm, I'm doing a, uh, a thumbs up, maybe some like B, B plus test grade. I don't know what my uh, official reviews of stars so we're gonna do stars whatever it may be i'm good i want to see it continue against san jose if they can do it against penn state i'm gonna be uh, shooting fireworks in the backyard mm. brandy talk to me about this o-line how did they make you feel did it give you the warm and fuzzies on saturday you know it didn't um they had their moments though like there were moments where it, it, it looked promising but for the most part like there was a lot of improvement that we have to make there that being said if you looked around the rest of the conference and looked at their offensive line play, I don't think I'm too worried because the rest of the conference, at least in the West, like the O-line play all across the board did not look that great. And so I think that there's room for improvement and that the line will improve as Carson and his staff continue to get a better grasp on what players work better and in what positions on the line. So that's kind of my take on that. I think there's a lot of room for improvement there. I don't think we're totally like... In the trenches, you know, this is going to be awful. But, um, yeah, we need to improve there. But I think that there is room for improvement. Mm, I think the QBs and the uh, offensive line, I mean, they've got to figure out a way to work as a unit. Let's talk about Robbie Ashford here for a second and what he provides this offensive line as a run threat. Now, it's been said that if the line is going to be a little faulty in pass blocking, that a mobile QB might be a better choice. So we saw Robbie Ashford show off the wheels on Saturday. He had a 50-yarder down the sideline. He had a few good runs up the middle, and he used his arm to bomb the ball down the field pretty accurately. Uh, you know, How much of a leg up does Robbie Ashford's mobility give him in this quarterback race moving forward? Yeah, well, let's, let's be real. If we all watch the same game, when he was going out there and using his legs, the defense did not know – what in the world to do because there's no tape on him yet. Mm. So <clears throat> I don't know how they would have game planned for that. I don't know if they thought he would come in and get looks or not, but you could definitely tell, tell it was like a chicken with a head cut off when he was out there. It opened up a ton of doors. Now, every defensive coordinator who's going to be preparing for Auburn is going to have to know that this is something that they can do. And I was thinking about this today. 
if Robbie does, excuse me, if TJ does continue to start for the rest of the season and plays at a high enough level to do so and keep Auburn competitive, Robbie's going to see the field if he continues to play the same way he does as well, even if it's just like this. Because 2006 Florida did this exact same thing with Tim Tebow and Chris Leak. Mm. And then 2011, I've mentioned this before, LSU went to a national championship playing two quarterbacks. Uh, Harson had done some of this at Boise State as well. So there is, there's a precedence for teams to be very successful using quarterbacks situationally. Because I think a lot of people have this mentality of, oh, you, you, you pull the guy, you're going to get the other guy off rhythm. If you plan it right and you have different looks, that's not that's just a busted narrative. And what Robbie's going to do for making those teams prepare for Auburn, and then especially what they did with the with the pitches and the multiple quarterbacks out there, and that's just and this is this is assuming TJ doesn't lose a starting role to Robbie at all. This is just it staying exactly how it is. Mm. I think Robbie did immense immense leap forward for himself, did himself favor. Helped Auburn out a lot, and even if his role does not change at all, and it stays just how it is, and he gets significant minutes and packages and looks, it's going to be a nightmare for other teams to deal with. I think it's a really, really good thing. And let's be real: if we saw him out there, dude's faster than Nick Marshall. Oh my like, god, Robbie has got some wheels, elite speed. Young athletes need the tools for success on the field and on the court, and now more than ever in the arena of business. In the new era of name, image, and likeness, Athletic Architects is here for young athletes and parents to help prepare for your financial futures. Let Athletic Architects start helping you build your house. Visit buildthehouse.com and let's build together. Uh, BMAC, talk to me about Robbie Ashford. This guy can move. He is an elite athlete playing quarterback. He doesn't want to be known as a running quarterback. So don't call him a running quarterback or you might catch the business from Robbie Ashford. He said he is a elite athletic quarterback, uh, uh, quarterback that can run. But throwing is his primary concern. You know How much does his mobility and that athleticism give him a leg up in this quarterback race moving forward? Yeah. You know, even though he doesn't want to be called a running quarterback, I think that's, you know, what makes him different out of all the other quarterbacks on the roster and really what gives him a leg up. Like he is mobile and he is good at being mobile too. So, yeah, I mean, the wheels, they were showing on Saturday. Like that was awesome to see. I think a lot of us expected something like that out of him. Um, But also when he threw the ball, he threw the ball and he threw it well. So I you know, he, to me, is just, he he looks good from a well-rounded standpoint, and I think he's very versatile, and that's going to continue to play to his advantage in this quarterback duel. Are we shocked at how fast he is? Holy crap. On the play, yeah, or, he, he <laughs> outran Tank to throw a block down the field, talked a little trash to the guy on his way down at the goal line, but are we shocked at how fast he is? His teammates have said, Nine is a problem. That's what we've heard in our uh, building report interviews from the defensive players. Kaufman has talked about it. Uh, our guy, uh, uh, Cam Riley, has talked about it. Um, uh, Marquise Burks has talked about it. They've said, man, when nine gets in the game, everybody starts yelling, nine is in the game, nine is in the game. So uh, they've compared him to Bo, but I think he's faster than Bo, is he not? He's significantly faster than Bo, is he not? Easily. Yeah, easily. easily. <laughs> I don't think it's a contest. <laughs> and and the thing with Robbie there 
is we all know the plays with the legs. Mm-hmm. We saw that Saturday in spades. But what that's going to do is that's going to everybody on defense is going to just look the other way. And then just like we saw with that one play, he's just popping it, popping it with that arm. And I mean, that one, that one throw he had to, uh, that was to Johnson, right? Yes. That led us for that touchdown. Yeah. I was, <clears throat> I was standing right there in that end zone. And that was a beautifully thrown ball. I mean, just hit him right in stride. Place goes nuts. I go nuts. And he can do like that. He has the arm talent to make those make those throws. So you see a lot of these guys kind of come in there, and they're just all right. They're going to do a. And I guess the, I guess we're sort of post Nick Marshall jaded from Gus because they would do some of that stuff with the like what they did with Joey Gatewood or even 2011 with Kyle Frazier, where the dual threat quarterback would trot in there with some tight ends and H backs, and they would just hike it to him. He'd do a fake. He would do a fake uh, play action, just run down the middle and fall at the line of scrimmage. And everyone's like, wow, we just wasted it down. Like everybody saw that coming from a mile away because Gus would never let these guys throw the ball in these packages. Well, Gus is not the coach anymore. Mm. This is a new scheme, new play calling. And we just have to, under, like, I think a lot of people still have PTSD to get excited for anything that, like, <laughs> might potentially be relevant of maybe better coaching than we've seen sure. and play calling and scheming. And I think the key thing here is if we already mentioned it, the offensive line still to be determined, but the thing is to help an offensive line that may not be up to par to where it should be scheme it better. What can the other right. positions do on the field to take heat off that offensive line, which in turns will make them play better because they're not getting just, absolutely loaded at the box because it's like, Hey, we don't know what Auburn's going to do. So some of that kind of, some of that good old Boise trickery that they were known for a really long time is kind of starting to show a little bit. And part of me, the optimistic side of me, and I'm going to optimistic tonight, you know, you never know what you're going to get with me here, but I feel like the Mike Bobo cloud is all long, far gone from this offense and really excited to see that. Cause I think if Mike Bobo were still here, we do not see a game called like this. Yeah. Guys, I want to close out the pod tonight um, with a little bit of pettiness. <laughs> Going to be petty. Um, the Oregon Ducks took on the Georgia Bulldogs in the Mercedes-Benz Dome. Why this is relevant is their new quarterback was our old quarterback, and he did not fare too well. If you're an Oregon fan, how sick are you? watching Robbie Ashford make crazy plays with his legs and throw bombs at Auburn while the guy you traded him for in his fourth year is throwing picks and getting you run off the field at a neutral site. Like, how sick did we, did, uh, as, a, as Auburn fans and media, did, did we win the breakup with Bo? Did we win the breakup with Bo? We did. I think we did. At least based off of game one, we did. Um, And, you know, all we heard all offseason leading up to this Oregon-Georgia game was, you know, watch out for Oregon. They could be a sleeping giant to upset this Georgia team. Bo's finally going to have a good offensive line and better receiving talent, blah, blah, blah. Well, I think we saw the exact opposite of what all of the media was saying about Bo on Saturday. Like, they didn't even score a touchdown. This was his that worst was game versus sad. Georgia, was it not? <laughs> that was really, I mean, kind of, yeah, I think so. I mean, that I mean, that was like a really that was a really sad outing. Like, let's be real. Okay. Um, 
It was sad. I well, even go ahead, Beams. Go. I'm sorry. I was say even zooming that out a little bit. Talk about winning the breakup, and I, I, I've been touting this for a while. And it, to me, this is a very underrated storyline of Auburn that's happened over this past weekend. Naturally, the capstone of the whole pyramid here, Bo Nix. That was the one that everybody very controversial. Well, he's been the same player he's always been. And it's very evident that he's pretty much hit that ceiling against good talent. Okay. Well, Derek Mason gave up 44 points to Central Michigan, won the breakup. Austin Davis is doing radio color commentary for Southern Miss, <laughs> won the breakup. Kobe Hudson didn't get a catch, won the breakup. And uh, not, uh, not to wish ill will, because absolutely just, you know, this is one of my favorite Auburn players, but Shivers got 1.9 yards of carry. I think it Indiana won the breakup. Like I said, this isn't a hey ha ha, you know, wish y'all nothing but ill will. And I think Mike Bobo, I think Mike Bobo is like fetching Kirby Smart Coffee in Georgia. So point of all that is, is that was one of the negative clouds over Harson. Like, well, he ran all these guys out of here. He doesn't have a grip of it. That was our leading receiver. That was our starting quarterback. That was such a great defensive coordinator. Yada yada yada. Blah blah blah. And now looking at all these guys that left, it's sort of like, well, did he? Did he exactly? Did he run him off, or did he trim the fat? Right. Where, 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 where's that at now? And it's looking like that narrative shift of all these people in January and February that are saying all these bad things about these people leaving. Oh, how could he? How could he do that? How could he let him go? And even some of the other transfers aren't doing anything. Right. So, point of it being, that's a huge storyline for Auburn. We're winning the breakup, moving forward. If you can't get on board, get off. I'm all for it. <laughs> Brandy, <laughs> not I, taking it from anybody. I want to go back to a point Brandy made about, you know, what we heard, we, we what people were projecting about how he would do based on the talent that would be around him at Oregon, right? He's going to have an O-line. That was supposed to be one of the best returning O-lines in the country. Now, they played like it. Uh, you know, I've got the stats in front of you guys here. That O line kept him clean on seventy eight point six percent of his dropbacks. He was only under pressure twenty one point four percent of the time. The average in the SEC is about twenty six point five percent. Last year, Auburn, uh, you know, was blocking for him at about a twenty seven percent pressure rate, uh, and he went eighteen for thirty when the pocket was clean. Finished with a fifty six point eight percent completion percentage overall that's about the type of quarterback he is now we're talking about this because Auburn needs more than that to get over the hump right and if we had he had stayed this is about the performance that we could probably expect from him now I want to make this point for three years everybody blamed everybody around Bo for Bo's problems but Bo it's the O-line the receivers can't catch all this stuff we heard none of those storylines on Saturday. None. <laughs> right. Nobody talked about how terrible the O line was. You know, the quarterback threw interceptions, but not it wasn't everybody else around him's fault, right? It was his fault. And um it just seemed like all the narratives were normal. Now we'll see if those trends hold headed into Penn State. But for right now, it seems like the people around him weren't the problem. Now, bringing this full circle. My last question to you guys is, is this a better team than they were being given credit for based on that? A guy leaves this system, goes to what's perceived to be a a more veteran team with better O-line and better receivers and does worse. 
This was his worst game in four versus Georgia. Now, mind you, it's Georgia. I get it. But that was an all-world defense last year that he went up against, and he played much better here against them than he did there. So is this a better team than they've been given credit for? And based on game one, are we adjusting our expectations for what they can accomplish in this conference this year? Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any need to necessarily adjust expectations for Oregon. Um, no, 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 for Auburn. Oh, for Auburn. Oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> um, no, I think our expectations should be exactly where they are. It's, I, th- mm-hmm. I think it's just too early to adjust any expectations. Mm-hmm. I think the the first, I feel like the first game or afterwards where we can come back and say, hey, should we adjust our expectations lower or higher, whatever they may be, is going to be after that Penn State game. I think okay. it's just way too early to tell right now based off of stats, based off of play, based off of other guys that have transferred out. Like, I think it's just way too early to adjust any expectations. So I think keeping them where they're at for now, let's see how this weekend goes, but really let's see how September 17th goes against Penn State. Memes, expectations. Do we adjust them or do we keep them right where they're at? Well, for me, I think my expectations are Probably on the sorry, I had a I had something a sound pop up. I was looking up stats and had a drum roll, and I was like, Mike's adding sound effects to the podcast. Okay, uh, that was very uh, that was very topical to what was going on. I will restart that statement there. My expectations for this team, I had kind of a range. I think I'm leaning toward the higher end, mm. and not as much because of Auburn, but just because of how bad everybody else was looking. Yeah. So I think if you're comparing Auburn to the rest. Might be licking my chops a little bit because everyone's like, well, what did I say earlier in this podcast? It's just Mercer. Well, who are some of these other bum teams some of the other SEC West guys are playing? Like Texas A&M, I didn't, I didn't even know the name of that. I'd never heard of the team Texas A&M had played, and they looked horrible for the first half of football, just absolutely terrible. And the thing is, is Auburn fundamentally was looking pretty well. Like guys were running routes. They were making catches. The line was creating a nice pocket. Vision was good on the quarterback. Throws were good. So I think that right now from game one, you could probably adjust that to the higher end. But I've been I've been high on this team for a while. And just I want to like I knew the talent was there. I really wanted to see it to justify those feelings, but I cannot think of anything that I saw that I wasn't expecting to be a struggle versus everything that I was pretty much validated that I had thought beforehand to be good. So if that continues to happen and the pace of that keeps going through the rest of the season, as to be expected from myself, I don't know about from the people outside, this Auburn team is going to be a good team. Now, for those not expecting that, shift your expectations. The team's probably going to surprise you. But what have we been saying and what has everybody on the inside been saying? Be ready to be shocked. And like I said, I think Auburn showed that they were doing that. And I think the competition that was extremely overhyped all off season, that house of cards is going to crumble for them. Really looking forward to what this team's going to do. The key thing here though, is they all have got to stay healthy and can't get hurt. Yeah. Listen, 
Uh, a lot of people were shocked by some of the things that Auburn did on Saturday. Um, I'm ready to be shocked. I know you guys are ready to be shocked. And we hope you guys will stick around for the shock value next week as we talk about what happened at San Jose State. As always, I want to thank Brandy, Mack, and Auburn Means for joining me here on a Thursday. Talk a little Auburn football. Guys, we'll be back at you next week to talk some more football. But until then, War Eagle. War Eagle. Eagle.